of Positive Regression, a motorsports analytics podcast. I am Alan Kavana of Fox Sports, joined by David Smith of The Athletic. Not only is it episode 46, it is season two, and we are happy to be back. First episode of the season means we are previewing 2020, and maybe we're going to make some predictions that maybe we can look back on later, and we'll see if we're right or wrong. But David, normally we go right into it, but first let me just say it is awesome to be back. It is great to hear from listeners who want us back, and I'm just excited for a new year. I'm happy to be back. I'm happy to talk to you again in this format, and I'm going to pretend that I haven't seen you workshopping stuff for the podcast in your day job. I caught you, uh, your, your shrewd breakdown of Chip Ganassi Racing the other day on Race Hub. It was well done. You've already knocked the rust off. I'm envious. So let's get to uh, the analysis that we do so well. It's all about the gospel of David Smith. That's why we listen and do this. But let's get right into it. Episode 46, like I said, this is the Al Unser Jr. edition. Yes, Al Unser Jr., stock car racer. David, let's give this some perspective. Al Unser Jr. ran one race, one NASCAR race, and it was the 1993 Daytona 500, and he did it as the defending Indy 500 champion. Huge storyline back then. Yeah, and and a a lot of uh, people. I mean, you have to be a certain age now to understand how good... Al Unser Jr. was and the positive impression that he left on the NASCAR community, he was the only guy who could regularly go in and beat NASCAR drivers in the IROC series, the International Race of Champions. Um, and he had been close to winning at Daytona and Talladega. He eventually did win at Talladega and IROC. And it was Dale Earnhardt Sr., who said that Al Unser Jr. was the kind of talent, it did not matter what car, you could just put him in the car and he would find a way to succeed. And here was an opportunity. Hendrick Motorsports had its number 46 car. Uh, Valvoline was the sponsor. And it was a rough weekend for Mr. Unser. <laughs> he, he crashed in his dual race. He crashed in the Daytona 500 um, Waddell Wilson, uh, probably a future Hall of Fame uh, crew chief, was his crew chief, but uh, it, it didn't go as planned. And uh, there was always the thought that he would one day come back to NASCAR. Ironically, he, uh, in the prime of his kart career, drove for Roger Penske, who owned a NASCAR Cup Series team, but he didn't make the jump. Um, but Alan, I've got a there's a, there's a paint scheme uh, story. That uh, I'm, I'm curious that you're if you're privy to. I'm not sure. Go okay, ahead. so he ran a black, silver, and orange scheme, and this was the paint scheme that Paul Menard and I believe this was Paul Menard's last year for Richard Childress Racing. But he ran this scheme as a throwback in the Darlington race, but that paint scheme never actually competed in the Daytona 500. It competed in the dual race. He crashed it. And for a backup car, they opted to use the Kenny Schrader Kodiak car. Uh, they kept the paint. Hmm. They removed the branding of Kodiak, slapped Valvoline on it, and, uh, and now is a car. That that car finished second in the Bush Clash earlier that week. And that's what Al Unser Jr. drove. It was a white and green Valvoline car, which doesn't jive with anything we know about Valvoline. <laughs> Interesting stuff. Yeah, remember back to the 1993 Daytona 500, a memorable race for many reasons. Al Unser Jr. was in it in the number 46. But let's get to it. It is the beginning of the season. We're actually still a few weeks away from the beginning of the season. But we are deciding to preview the 2020 NASCAR season by looking at the most, what we think will be, or who will be, the most interesting people. So David and I each chose five different people independently, and we have brought our list together. And we're going to tell you why and also make a prediction about them. Uh, as you can maybe imagine, some of our picks intersected a little bit. And uh, the first two, I picked James Small, the new crew chief for Martin Truex Jr. And G- and David picked Martin Truex Jr. as one of his most interesting people for 20. 20, so we're going to co- kind of combine these two. David, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll start. Uh, James Small, why I find him so interesting is for the fact that he is stepping up to be the crew chief for one of the most successful teams of the last, you know, what, three years in the sport, uh, in the Cup Series. Think about it last year, the winningest team of 2019, third fastest in terms of central speed. All of a sudden, Cole Pern, its crew chief, its leader, 
steps away, surprises a lot of people, and now James Small has to make the step up from lead engineer to crew chief. And when you make that major change, a major component of the team, how much of a change will that be? I feel it's extremely significant to go from being the person, you know, in charge of making the cars and finding the speed to being the person in charge of a little bit of everything. It's like going from the coordinator to the head coach. That's a big change. So how much success he has is what's interesting me for 2020. I think being the shot caller is totally different. Uh, I'll save my prediction, David, because we're going to intertwine these. But I think James Small is one of the most interesting people for 2020. Why do you say Martin Turex Jr.? Yeah, so I, I mean, I think I think Cole Pern created this whole problem. He our, our last episode of the podcast last year was November twenty seventh. Cole Pern uh, stepped down on December 9th. According to rumor, he sold his house well before that. I don't know how true that is, but you know, Alan, just speaking to on the notion of James Small, he has never been a crew chief anywhere uh, of any kind of high competitive relevance. And I've pulled up a, a few names for you. Kurt Shelmerdine in his first year as a crew chief. He is being inducted into the NMPA Hall of Fame this weekend. Did not win a single race. Ray Evernham in his first year as a crew chief in the Cup Series did not win a single race. And same for Chad Knauss and Rodney Childers. It's going to be very difficult for Small to have success when he's never had this job before. And I think we're going to have to calibrate our expectations for him and Martin Truex accordingly. For me, I, I've i already seen it a little bit um, on social media. I, I know that this is the typical fan reaction of, well, Martin Truex wasn't winning a lot of races and competing for championships without Cole Pern. I love to turn that around and say, well, how many races did Cole Pern win without Martin Truex? That answer <laughs> is zero. But... Martin Truex, he was 39 last year. He is 40 this year. He is in the prime of his career. He is still very good. And I am going to point to one specific example so that our listeners can appreciate his talent. It was the pass for the win in the playoff opener at Las Vegas. Um, he had, he was, uh, coming down on Kevin Harvick. He was, uh, running a, a lane a little bit higher. Harvick was occupying his bottom, uh, bottom line. No surprise. Harvick is a bottom dweller. And Truex knew this. He had a faster car, but he showed a little bit to the outside, unnerved Harvick to the point where Harvick left the bottom and moved up a half a lane. Truex then went underneath to complete the easy pass. And Alan, I ask you, how many race car drivers in the world can unnerve Kevin Harvick like that? Because that was impressive, and that was something that Cole Pern produced the car. Martin Truex made that decision and made that pass. And just because you don't have a specific crew chief on your pit box doesn't mean that you forget how to do that. Martin Truex is a savvy race car driver. He is a passer in the ilk of Jimmy Johnson in his prime, so say his numbers, and that's one example that we can point to. He ranked first in surplus passing value last season, first in preferred groove restarting, first in retention when restarting from the front row. All of these metrics are based heavily on driver decision-making. Look, age 40, on average, is typically the second best age for a cup driver, this could be a case where, uh, in 2020, where Truex has a strong advanced stats season that doesn't totally reflect in the tradition of wins, top fives, on down, all, all, all the numbers that we hear every Sunday. It could be that season. Martin Truex is very good, and what could potentially hinder him is the new crew chief on the box, the speed of the car, and I don't know that that's entirely on him. Yeah, that, that's the wild card, right? Is what we're talking about. The wild card is the crew chief change when that's the only thing that's changing after this string of, of, of great success. And James Small, he did have two fill-in races as a crew chief for Eric Jones. Got top tens for both of them when Eric Jones was in the 77, but I, I'm not relying on that to, to get him through an entire season in, in championship form. So if I'm making a prediction, David, uh, maybe this is even too high. You know, I was just thinking over-unders. The over-and-under is three and a half wins for Martin Truex Jr. If I'm setting the line, I would take the under for the 2020 season. Despite Martin Truex Jr.'s 
speed, despite his driving talent, I think this is too big of a change to overcome in terms of, you know, that five, six win plateau. I think it's fewer than four. Do you think that's a bad season? Not at all. And, and then, you know, there, that could be some skewing, some regression, right? I mean, we, we've seen him win eight races. We've seen him win seven races that those are outlier seasons, right? So I don't see it as being a bad season, but when you look at the last few, maybe Martin Truex Jr. standards, or we'll call it Cole Pern standards. When you apply the Cole Pern standard, you know, maybe fewer than four wins or three wins is a bad season when you think of all the work they put into it. Maybe, okay. that, maybe maybe that's a standard that helped, you know, drive Cole Pern away. No, uh, but I agree, I agree with you. I'm, I'm just playing a little bit of devil's advocate, and I will predict that Truex will rank as a top three passer and a top two restarter while winning four or fewer races uh over the last four years he's won at least four a year right so anything less than that that is breaking the standard but i'm also just i'm not in the audience that thinks four wins is a bad season i mean we're going to get to some drivers here in a minute where two is probably a normal good season but martin trucks has been so good for i mean it's it's been four years now Uh, i mean this is this is relevant i think this is real so um, yeah, this, that whole 19 team to me is one of the most intriguing storylines in 2020 for the NASCAR Cup Series. All right. Sounds like we set the line at three and a half. Uh, you took the over. I took the under. We'll look back on that, uh, come November. It'll be fun. All right. Next up, uh, for my, on my list of most interesting people for 2020, Rod Moskowitz of Pro Sport Management. If you don't know that name, get to know it because Rod is the agent for Kyle Larson. Kyle Larson happens to be one of the many free agents after 2020. So that means his agent, Rod Moskowitz, will be busy. Look, uh, I don't have any inside info, no crazy knowledge of, of what may already be happening, what may happen in the future. But just think of this situation, David. A generational talent will be available on the market for the first time. Larson is now a veteran. He is still brimming with all the potential and potential success you expect to see out of him. Uh, and you expect him to have his share of suitors, including where he is now at Chip Ganassi Racing, including that Hendrick 48 ride, including his friend Tony Stewart and everything they have over at Stewart Haas Racing and who knows where else. So how does his agent play this behind the scenes while Kyle Larson is trying to get it done on the racetrack? His agent will be working the phones, maybe accepting calls from teams. But how, how do you think of this chess game when there are other free agents like, say, a Brad Keselowski, a Ryan Blaney, potentially Eric Jones? The last thing you want to do is be the last one to sign, correct? So do you want to be the first one to sign? Do you want to have that leverage and play two teams off against each other, try to get that quote up? Is it about money? Is it about the, the success you could potentially have in the future? What Kyle Larson's agent will be doing behind the scenes this year is one of my most interesting storylines for 2020. And my prediction, as far as I'll go, David, I won't say where, but I do not believe he comes back with Chip Ganassi Racing. Okay. You don't realize how lucky you are because your <laughs> your podcast co-host spent five years working with Rod Moskowitz at Motorsports Management International. So Here's some, here's some insight into the man and, uh, and a little bit of how he operates. Uh, I worked with him while he was there, different department, but I was very privy to his work. He was a hard worker. He was a smart worker. More importantly, here are some of the deals that he was the linchpin for. Jamie McMurray from Chip Ganassi Racing to Roush Fenway Racing. Jamie McMurray from Roush <laughs> Fenway Racing back to Chip Ganassi Racing. Casey Kane. From Richard Petty Motorsports to Hendrick Motorsports mm-hmm. with the in-between year at Team Red Bull. And Matt Kenseth from Roush Fenway Racing to Joe Gibbs Racing. Alan, what's the, what's the pattern, uh, there? That's, uh, that's a, that's an operator who sees an opportunity to, to move his driver to a new, a new team and takes advantage. And sounds like a new and improved each time you move up. And uh, yeah, so I, I think, I think Kyle Larson has, um, you know, one of the brightest guys in the room, um, to do just that. I think it would behoove Kyle Larson to look at all the suitors and there, there will be plenty, uh, interested in him. There are plenty of rides available and I, this is, 
this is one of the top stories. You were right about this when you mentioned on, on, on NASCAR Race Hub. This is one of the top stories of 2020 because this is going to affect the immediate future of NASCAR, wherever Kyle Larson decides to go. And, and there are other free agents. Um, there is one in particular with um, uh, some more immediacy in his return on the investment. But Kyle Larson, you're right, is a generational talent. Not many of those hit the open market at this point in their career. And that is going to be really fun to watch. Next up, I think you have Todd Gordon as the most inter- one of the most interesting people or storylines of 2020. Why? Uh, I do. So Todd Gordon, former crew chief for Joey Logano, the new crew chief for Ryan Blaney. Uh, Team Penske rearranged the deck chairs and uh, called that an efficient maneuver. I don't know, but... How how does Todd Gordon affect Mr. Ryan Blaney? I actually like this move for Blaney. Uh, Ryan Blaney, right now in his career, is a short-run specialist. He ranked third in preferred groove restarting. He ranked 21st in surplus passing value. From that, we can infer <laughs> this was due to poor long-run passing. So... Enter Todd Gordon. Todd Gordon was the very guy who gave Joey Logano, who himself a, a bad long run passer when mired in traffic until about a year ago. And I gotta tell you, Gordon, for all his faults, I have spoken out about his pit strategy decisions, but he supplied Joey Logano with moments of clean air. Enough of them, and that was that team's deliberate focus. Logano, the year he won the championship in 2018, he ranked 22nd in surplus passing value. That was that was what that team had to overcome. If it has not been directly said to Todd Gordon, then there there is an unsaid responsibility to make this season good and make this team more amenable to Ryan Blaney's ability. He is a free agent. Gordon is here to accentuate Blaney's strengths right in time for his contract renegotiation. And Blaney has leverage. He'll have many suitors this year as well. Uh, he's young. He appeals to potential sponsors and a successful start to this season may have him thinking twice about leaving Penske early, right? So, look, Blaney already projected to be good, and uh, Alan, it's fascinating. Um, next Monday on MotorsportsAnalytics.com, I am going to post the 2020 peer projections. I'm going to give you a little sneak peek. Age oh. 26 is... On average, a down season for NASCAR Cup drivers. However, Blaney's peer projection bucks that trend. I find that very interesting. He is projected for a career year anyway, and that is without Todd Gordon's assistance. So, Alan, my prediction. With playoff bonuses omitted, Ryan Blaney, who ranked 7th in points scored across 36 races last season will break into the top five this season. Wow. Todd Gordon and Joey Logano ranked second in huh. points total. Remember, they lost out to Kyle Busch by one point. Um, Ryan Blaney will be a top five points getter thanks to the addition of Todd Gordon. Hey, quickly on this front, the Penske guys, are everyone's doing their media stuff this week, and my, my colleague Bob Pockris, uh kind of brought up this topic and asked Ryan, but when you make a crew chief switch, you're a former evaluator, how much can you evaluate the driver when you give them a blank slate? You know, you shake it up a little bit, and you can now compare them to what they did with one crew chief and how they perform with another. How much evaluation can you pull on that in terms of the driver talent? So, look, I don't know what constitutes a good crew chief. That is a completely subjective line of thinking. But for me, I think it would be someone who supplements what the driver doesn't do well or accentuates what the driver does do well. The reason Todd Gordon remained with Joey Logano for so long, 
look, the strategy was bad. It, it was fine. It was fine in 2019, but up until that, it, it, it was not good. But Logano didn't need strategy. He needed clean air to overcome one of his weaknesses that he's since gotten rid of. Um, I wrote in my SWOT analysis on The Athletic about Team Penske that for Joey Logano, this was a little bit of a graduation. He is now paired with Paul Wolf. Paul Wolf uh, has produced the fastest race car at Penske over the last few years. Joey Logano has graduated to a brand of speed that is appropriate now for his skill level. And Ryan Blaney benefits from this. He graduates to Todd Gordon, who seems to be able to assist a young, still developing, but incomplete driver. So I, Todd Gordon, if I, if I had to rank crew chiefs, he's probably not in my top five. He might be a perfect fit for Ryan Blaney just because of the fact that he sort of understands the job description. And right now it's to give Ryan Blaney some clean air and see what the 12 car can do out front. Uh, Blaney is plenty good. He's got short runs down cold. Um, it's the long runs. He's going to need a little help, and that's where Todd Gordon aided Logano. All right, next up, I am keeping it in the Penske family because I think one of my most interesting people of 2020 will be Brad Keselowski. Uh, I choose him just because we've been discussing it, but the unique circumstances surrounding this season. Uh, for the first time since 2011, he will have a new crew chief, him and Paul Wolf, breaking up. Uh, that's what, how Brad described it earlier this week, kind of saying you uh, you got divorced and married on the same day when he found out that he was getting a new crew chief. Uh, look, I, I don't think of it as a positive, only because I come from the David Smith School of Motorsports Analytics, and I can clearly see the data that tells us last year, Jeremy Bowens, the, the decision-making, the data in terms of the decision-making cost Ryan Blaney 210 positions on the racetrack when it comes to decision-making from the pit box. That's who Brad Kozlowski will now be paired with. That car last year that Jeremy Bowens was in charge of, ninth in overall speed when you look at the speed charts. I don't see it being a positive for Brad Kozlowski when I look at that data. Now, he, he spoke uh, earlier this week. You know, he, he took some questions. Again, my, my colleague at Fox, Bob Pachris, uh posted some of those videos, and you can hear some of the decision-making and the mindset behind uh, what Brad was saying about how he interprets this change. You know, maybe everyone was a little bit too complacent. Maybe this is the kick in the ass that they that Brad Kozlowski himself needs to up his game, a, a switch like this. But I'm not predicting this as an overall positive in terms of improving what we see at the end of the season. I do not predict that Brad Kozlowski is one of the championship four cars when we get to Phoenix in 2020. I'm just not convinced it's it's a great move. Uh, again, he's one of those drivers that's a, been acknowledged as a free agent after the season. Uh, it will be interesting to see how much he is judged off this season rather than you know his entire career and the potential that he has. So it's interesting that the thought there is that Brad Keselowski is being asked to step up his game, and I actually think he has to do that. He has to do the heavy lifting this year just to maintain his status quo. We've now come to think of him as a driver who's an automatic three wins every year, and that's a that's a good season. But, I mean, just based on what... Bullens has brought in previous seasons to, as I mentioned, a young driver who needed positional help. He took positions off the table. Look, this is going to be a very complicated year for Brad Keselowski. He's he's going to have to figure some things out. Jeremy Bullens could change his stripes for all we know. Now, we cannot assume that until we see it actually happen. Um, but until then, this is a huge question for Team Penske going into the year, and to make matters, I don't know, worse, better, I don't know. Yeah, Keselowski is also going to look at the the suitor market. Um, the last time that he negotiated a contract was 2017, and that was the year that Dale Earnhardt Jr. also retired, and there was an open ride at Hendrick Motorsports, but. They didn't, they didn't make a call to Brad Keselowski, so Keselowski had no leverage and probably did not get 
the type of deal he thought that he was going to get as a former champion, recent champion of the sport. So I think now with more open rides on the table, I, I think he owes it to himself to look around. And some of these other teams, Stuart Haas, Hendrick, they'd be foolish to not consider him uh, this summer. Look, I mean, there there is a, a reality in which this two-team gets off to a slow start and that accelerates Keselowski's exit. Uh, I can see that. Uh, I don't. I don't know that it's so straightforward. I know he won a championship for Roger Penske. He is now Team Penske's winningest driver all time, um, and uh, he owes a lot for his career to Roger Penske. But at the same time, um, I, I, he owes it to himself to look for that deal. I think that's going to happen, and that's what made this crew chief change. Very interesting. Um, I, I think you could say maybe he lost uh, this transaction among the three, and a lot's going to have to change to prove that false. Yeah, you wrote about it on The Athletic. It may not be a coincidence that the two potential free agents are uh, were the ones you know switched to Todd Gordon and Jeremy Bullins, while what you would think the top crew chief over there, right, Paul Wolf, the winningest crew chief of the bunch, is paired with the driver still under contract in Joey Logano. Uh, so it'll be an interesting 2020, certainly, over at Team Penske. Next up, Denny Hamlin you have. Uh, why Denny? Well, last year he was 38 years old. He scored the best production rating of his career. I'll save you the math. He turns 39 this season. Boom, number 39. <laughs> this is the statistical peak. This is what drivers wait for. Um, furthermore, as I predicted, Martin Truex's surface level stats uh, are poised to drop. The driver best positioned to benefit is Denny Hamlin. So how high he goes in his age 39 season depends on some improvement in his peripheral numbers. In 2019, he had a positive surplus pass value for the first time since the invention of positive surplus pass <laughs> values. Uh, that was 2014. He ranked 15th in non-preferred groove restart retention his crew chief, Chris Gabehart, when he could, worked to make sure that wasn't to the team's detriment in key moments last season. But even that has to improve for a well-rounded season. Hamlin has been so good for so long. When he had weaknesses, they were glaring. But this year, on paper, we'll potentially see a fully realized Denny Hamlin. Uh, I'd like to know how high he can go, but um, this is probably my boldest prediction. Regular season champion and championship for participant. Not bad. Interesting just when you think back of the season they had last year, right? How good they were and to think that there's still room for improvement uh, is should be kind of scary for the rest of the field to, to be overly cliche. I apologize, especially on, on this podcast, but to know how good they were last year, David, and the improvements that they made, you know, year to year, uh, to think that there's still weaknesses and those can be honed. And that again, statistically, Denny Hamlin still has room to get better in his age 39 season. Uh, I don't think you're that far off on your prediction. So maybe not too bold. No. And, and, and what this means for, his win total. We talked about Truex. Kevin Harvick turns 44 this season. It's possible that he takes a step back. Uh, you and I had concerns last year during the playoffs about Kyle Busch, Adam Stevens, and what was happening to their speed late in races. They won the championship, but if that has not been addressed, uh, that could be a realistic problem. There's a situation where Hamlin is taking some wins that are now on the table. We can see that win total go up. And I tell you what, I mean, that, that team was really sharp last season. If there, if there was any team better down the stretch, it was the 19 team with Martin Truex and Cole Pern. And Cole Pern has bailed for Canada. I am awful bullish on this 11 team, uh, for, for this year. Good stuff. Uh, next up, what I'm hoping, prediction-wise, is a driver who uh, takes some of those wins out there that are up for grabs. Uh, I pick William Byron because 
damn it, David, it is just time for this kid, right? <laughs> it is, it'll be his third full-time year, his second consecutive year with Chad Knauss, which will be huge working with him for a second time. It's just time to get to victory lane for, for William Byron. We've seen improvements in speed last year. Uh, I remember you had predicted, you know, William Byron would, would get a pole in 2019 and he went out and did it at Daytona. So we've seen improvements there. We saw improvements in his finishes in 2019, but for the car he had under him, he was low in production on your peer, the production and equal equipment rating. He had a peer of 26, David, last year. This is William Byron in a Hendrick car. Uh, that peer ranked him below drivers like Ty Dillon and Paul Menard. Essentially, you can read that as he was not getting the finishes or the production that he should be with the equipment that was under him. He had a series worst in top 15 efficiency, meaning that he spent a lot of time in the top 15 but wasn't necessarily finishing there anywhere near as much as he should have. So how does he respond to all this in year three, the second year with Chad Ganaus? Uh, you know, maybe it's pie in the sky. Maybe I'm just, you know, the natural improvement of things and the talent we believe him to have. My prediction is for William Byron this year, that peer improves, obviously, and he gets his first win. But. It doesn't happen before June. It happens after June. That's my prediction. That That is boldly specific. Um, but I, w- I will speak to Byron. What he did well last year did not show up on the results sheet or in his production. He was the number one most efficient passer on short tracks and the most efficient passer of all drivers during the playoffs. And I'm with you. I, I think improvement is inevitable for a driver that is able to go out and get positions the way that he can just it's it's decreasing that delta uh on that top 15 efficiency just just get the finishes of where you're running and all your troubles go away and hopefully we see that this year Uh, a lot of william byron fans and a lot of expectation on him so we'll see what he has in 2020 Next up, not a driver, not a crew chief, but a competition director. You picked Kevin Kidd from Roush Fenway Racing. Why? I did. Uh, you know, Alan, it feels like common sense to just go through life being self-aware and totally in tune with resources at your disposal with realistic expectations. But there's something about this sport where not <laughs> being aware of your lot in life uh, makes for bad decision making. For instance, the Stuart Haas racing pit strategy last season. Identical strategy across four teams, though only one team has Kevin Harvick. Probably not smart. But for Kevin Kidd, give him credit. He is self aware. He knows, uh, the cars at Roush Fenway would be hard pressed to crack the top 15 in central speed. It, it didn't happen last year. Probably not going to happen this year. Last year, he brought in Ryan Newman as a driver, Scott Graves as a crew chief, and those two were unapologetic about grabbing low-hanging stage points. And because of that, they made it to the playoffs, despite ranking outside the top 20 in central speed. This year, Kevin Kidd doubled down on that strategy. Roush Fenway brought in Chris Busher and Luke Lambert. And if you don't think that this team is built in the guise of Ryan Newman's number six team, you're crazy because this is the 2.0 version of that team. Listen, I do think that the blueprint is out on how Newman's team did this last year. Actually, I know that it's out because I wrote it for the athletic, but I, and, and I spoke with Newman about this late last year. He was optimistic about the team's chances of duplicating last year's effort this year. I believe what they did last year will prove more difficult. There are more opponents in the middle of the field. There's going to be an RCR car with Tyler Reddick. There's going to be a, a Levine family car with Christopher Bell. Matt DiBenedetto in a Wood Brothers car is going to vie for a playoff spot. Um, it's going to be tough to just assume that those points are going to be for the taking. So how this Roush Fenway team, both teams, position themselves to score those points and repeat this strategy uh, will be interesting. But this is the most realistic way Roush Fenway will contend this year. 
Kevin Kidd realizes that. That is admirable. And my prediction is that both teams will be in the playoff hunt and that one team will find a way in. Only one. Only You're not one. going with two. No, right. because I mean, look, that, look, stage points for fans are polarizing. I will, I will, I am not nearly arrogant enough to tell you what to think of stage points, but I will say, that if you want to pay attention to those battles in races where green flag stops and the ends of stages coincide, that is going to be very interesting to watch because there are going to be some tough decisions made. When I talked to Eric Jones last year around Martinsville time, this was after he had already been eliminated after scoring four points in three races in the first round of the playoffs. He kind of scratched his chin and said, yeah, we, uh, we probably need to be uh, playing the stage point game this year. So, and, and that's a much faster car than what Roush Fenway has at their disposal. They're faster cars. And this is a zero sum game. If they get those points, Roush Fenway does not get those points. That is going to make things very difficult, but very interesting to watch. Absolutely. Next up, I have chosen a driver in the truck series where you'll find me once again down on pit road for FS1 throughout the entire season. One of my most interesting people for 2020 for me is Austin Hill. Uh, Austin Hill, if you remember last season, inherited a championship situation in the truck series in that 16 truck. And the spotlight was immediately on him because Remember, the only thing that changed going from Brett Moffitt winning a championship to the next season was the driver. Everything else was the same. So the spotlight was going to be on Austin Hill. What was he going to do? Well, he went out and won the first race of the year. He went on to win three more, including Homestead. The only problem was he wasn't in the championship four because of a terrible run at Phoenix uh, when he you know needed to race his way in and a bad run at Martinsville. But for myself, what... What I saw was enough in terms of the improvement. You know, all the questions for me in Austin Hill's talent and his ability to kind of rise to the occasion and do what you should with the equipment under you, that was a winning truck, a championship-caliber truck, and he did what he was supposed to do with it. He won four races. Uh, just on, on a personal side, you know, just seeing him from week to week, you know, he hit the gym, he got in better shape, got dedicated. You could just see it and, and the happiness and the talent, all that stuff, you, could, you know, the little things you can pick up in the garage and talking with people. I believe this year he continues to improve. They have to improve on some of those short tracks, including the tracks like Phoenix as well because it's the championship race. But I believe he is in the championship four when we get to Phoenix in November and contends for the Truck Series title. Dare I ask, is he the championship favorite? I mean, look, when it comes down to winning and getting checkered flags, you know, he, he's the one that collected them, right? I mean, and so it, when this is about winning and winning that final race, it's the Phoenix factor, right? We talked about this. I remember last year, David, you said, <laughs> uh, you know, what, what is one of Martin Truex's weaknesses? And that's he better improve at Phoenix, right? Because if that's the championship race, like you have to be great there. Last year, Phoenix is what cost Austin Hill a spot at Homestead. Like they, they just didn't have it. Uh, I think, you know, they rank the back half of the top 10, even the teens for much of the race. And they needed better at that exact moment to be in Homestead. And it's got to be an even bigger twist of the knife when you go out there and dominate the Homestead race, just knowing a better performance at Phoenix would have earned you a championship. So it's hard. That's the only reason I would say maybe he's not a favorite because unless you start performing at Phoenix, you're not going to win the title. But I, that's why I put him in the championship four. And if they can improve those weaknesses, absolutely. Because look, they won the, the title the year before. They came right down to the wire and won the final race. In Homestead, won four races throughout the season. I think they can do it. So all four of the championship for last year returned to the Truck Series this year, correct? Correct. Matt, no, not Ross Chastain. Not Ross Chastain. Okay, but yeah. he he was replaced by Ty Majeski. There is a lot of energy behind him with Chevrolet. Mm-hmm. This is going to be the Ty Majeski redemption tour after he crashed 15 times in 15 Xfinity Series races. <laughs> uh, Austin Hill we can add to that mix. And if you notice, two more playoff spots were added, and that just increases the chances of Chandler Smith making a second-half run to the playoffs. We'll see. We'll see if he ends up doing all that. Oh, this this is going to be a very interesting year for the truck series. 
It, yeah, and when, when you put more in the in the playoff, you know, it just increases that wild card factor in terms of it, who knows what they can do just being, you know, playoff drivers and what those two races could do for your season, right? I mean, if you have the opportunity to have that reset, that's what it comes down to. And now two more players will be involved in that reset. I'm all for that. I like that. And Christian Eckes in a KBM truck. Are we going to see Greg Biffle this year? You know, he... I haven't asked specifically, but he was happy about the rule change of the triple truck challenge that kept him out of earning that money, right? Okay. So uh, he tweeted about that. I don't know if there how many seats are available, but that 51 is up in the air, especially just waiting for Chandler Smith to get in it. Yeah, while, while I appreciate Biffle's optimism, I think more is going to have to happen than a rule change for him to get back in that truck, but <laughs> we shall see. Yeah. Uh, and for, last but not least... A driver who made official news this week, and David, you were all over it. Daniel Suarez. Why does his entree into gaunt racing, uh, why does that interest you so much? Daniel Alejandro Suarez Garza. In the last two years, he lost his ride to a recent Cup Series champion in Martin Truex and a top Cup Series prospect who happens to be the son of his team's president and another way to say it that that is that is tough going for uh, mr suarez in theory in other sports based more on meritocracy daniel suarez would have landed on his feet sooner than he did he ranked 13th in production and equal equipment rating ahead of drivers like matt de benedetto Jimmy Johnson, Clint Boyer, Eric Almarola, Alex Bowman, Chris Busher, Ricky Stenhouse, Austin Dillon, everybody named Dillon. And from November 15th through January 28th, he did not have a confirmed Cup Series ride. That, I, that Alan Kavana, you could have started a race team on January 15th and plucked Daniel Suarez off the scrap heap. That, I mean, that's... Kind of unbelievable that that's where we were at. But that changed uh, this Tuesday. He's officially with Gaunt Brothers Racing. Jordan Bianchi and I have been working on this story and analysis for weeks for The Athletic. And I, I think the, the story behind it was pretty good. And, and justice was served. Daniel Suarez has a Cup Series ride. Now, it should be said he does not project like a superstar. Uh, but... He's good enough to be considered one of the top 40 drivers in the Cup Series, and that's, you know, that's deserving to be there. He is now, with all due respect to GBR, the worst team for which he's driven since entering NASCAR. The number 96 for GBR ranked 31st last year in Central Speed. I don't know what form this will take. But he will have to become a different driver to make this work. He is very aggressive by nature. And in fairness, if you've, if you've made it to the Cup Series, you are probably very aggressive. But he's going to have to pick and choose his battles on the racetrack. Because it's likely go fast racing with Corey LaJoy and front row motorsports with Michael McDowell and John Hunter Nemechek. Those are his opponents. Those are the teams that GBR is looking to beat each week and that rewiring of a driver's expectations doesn't always go well and i'm curious to see how that goes for suarez um jordan bianca and i talked to parker kligerman while we were in daytona for the rolex 24 and parker uh, he was a great sport about it he understands the situation that got him replaced but he said daniel suarez is going to have to learn how to live life with working very hard to finish 25th or 22nd because nobody else thinks that's cool but him. <laughs> and and that is – I've never thought of it that way. But Parker said that he has to keep his head down. He has to know what he is doing and what the team is doing is right and things are heading in the right direction even if that doesn't show in the results. Because from a fan perspective, from people outside of the industry, potential sponsors, they will never comprehend what it means for 
uh, 31st fastest team to finish in the top 25. Work has to happen in order for that to occur. No one will appreciate that. My prediction is that we will see Daniel Suarez's passing numbers, which have been bad in, in, in recent years. They're going to really pop against weaker competition this season, but his production rating will take a hit simply because he doesn't know how to efficiently game results for a car that has a major speed disparity. Um, Corey LaJoy spoke to this when I was um, talking with him for a, an article that I did on Go Fast Racing for The Athletic. Um, he said, look, it's a grind. What the, the kind of racing that I'm doing is not a lot of fun. Um, but if you look at Corey LaJoy's peer, it was on par with Austin Dillon's last year. I've seen Corey LaJoy be one of the most aggressive young drivers ever coming out of the what is now the ARCA Series East. Um, but he's not that driver on Sunday in the Cup Series because he can't be. He's a different driver. And Corey LaJoy successfully changed his driving style to succeed as this different driver. And I think that's going to be very difficult for Daniel Suarez. Different situation once again. It, it's the, the lack of consistency that I just – you know, you look at a potential career and the talent that he has, and then he gets hit – for better, for worse, you know, his own doing or whatnot, the, the the lack of consistency in his career has just hurt his potential. And, and that just, uh, it sucks to see because you, you want to see everyone live up to what you believe their potential could be. And, you know, he's exciting to talk to, you know, he's a great interview. We, we've had him, you know, over the years, talk to him plenty. And uh, this is just another hit, And but we'll see, you know, you make the most of it. And how important is it to stay relevant and just being in the Cup Series, you think? Very. Uh, yeah. I, I think for I think for him, um, I, I've heard some people mention that he should have sat out. He should have gone to the Xfinity series. But you, I don't think people outside the industry understand the emphasis that owners and decision makers have for being in the car and understanding what is happening right now. It was important for Daniel Suarez to be in the car this season. It will be. More important for him to be in a cup car in the 2021 season to be one of those initial drivers in the new car because regardless of where his career goes up or down past that point, his knowledge of driving the car will give him staying power over drivers that may be as good, a little bit worse, but weren't in the cup car. So what he's doing in 2020 sets him up for next year, and what he does next year probably sets him up for the rest of his career. He'll have a ride somewhere. It might not be a posh ride. It might not be for a top team, but for a, you know, a relatively young guy who grew up wanting to be a professional race car driver for a living and, and wanting to keep that living for a long time. This is the decision to make and he made it. So now we get to see if he's going to make the best of it. Yeah, good stuff. And that wraps up. Those are our 10 most interesting people for 2020. If you, if you feel different out there, listeners, uh, let us know. Shoot us a message on Twitter. I want to hear who your most interesting people are. If you think, uh, if you think differently, but, uh, it's good to be back, David. And just remember, we are back season two of positive regression. We are available on Apple podcasts, Google play, Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, and luminary, wherever you listen to your podcasts, we are available. If you like what you are hearing and we know you do because you're so kind to reach out to us and been asking when we're coming back. That's why it's so exciting to be back, but please leave us a rating or a review. Cause that kind of stuff really helps us in the podcast world, gain some visibility, tell your friends, let them know you enjoy the content. We enjoy conversing back and forth with you and hearing what you guys like. Your help in spreading the word is so appreciated. If you have questions, shoot them to us at Twitter on pause at pause, red pog, P O S R E G P O D. David, you're always busy. Even in the off season, you're at the racetrack all the time. What are you working on? Uh, quite a few things, uh, now that you bring it up, uh, on motorsportsanalytics.com, as alluded, uh, earlier, I will post cup series peer projections for the 2020 season on Monday, February 3rd. These are not guesses. These are the results of regression analyses. 
And this is good intel for us. It sets the ranges for each driver going forward this season. And for The Athletic, if you're not a subscriber, please correct that. My annual SWAT analyses are in full swing. Roush Fenway Racing and Hendrick Motorsports posted this week. And also, I was at the Rolex 24 last weekend covering the biggest sports car race in America, was entrenched with Acura Team Penske, and I produced two long reads, the first on American Dane Cameron and the other on the race itself uh, for both uh, Acura Penske teams. The feedback on those has been wonderful, overwhelming. I've never covered sports cars in my life. I've always been a fan and watched from afar, and it was an illuminating experience. This is good news. Give those a read, especially if you want to see more sports car coverage on the athletic. Uh, I'm down. I'm, I'm willing to do it, but we need to, uh, to hear from you on that. So please check out, uh, all of that. Um, it's, uh, it's crucial, but, uh, your, your readership is appreciated. Yes, I will second all that praise. It was cool to see the David Smith uh, style and uh, viewpoints on a different form of racing because I learned a lot. I don't know much about sports car racing, so uh, that was cool to see. Uh, if you are listening to this on Thursday morning, first of all, welcome back, and thank you for being a subscriber. If you are done by 11 a.m. on the East Coast, turn on to Sirius Channel uh, 90 because I will be co-hosting uh, on both on Thursday and Friday so you can hear me there. Race Hub is at the Super Bowl for the rest of the week, Thursday and Friday, uh, and that includes our Hall of Fame coverage, which I will be doing the, the red carpet at the Hall of Fame on Friday night. Tony Stewart, Joe Gibbs, uh, Bobby Labonte, Waddell Wilson, uh, I think Mr. Baker is in there as well this year. Uh, cool class, so you can see all the coverage on Friday night. And then, uh, look, Race Hub is back, so just tune in. Make sure you tune in at 6 o'clock every weeknight on FS1, and uh, you know we'll get to the rest later once we start getting to Daytona. But the season is back, and we have a lot to talk about so david so good to be back this is season two of positive regression welcome back everybody stay positive give us your feedback and i can't wait for the racing season to start Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.